Hello, everyone. Welcome to Arash's World today. We have a very special guest on a very special day. Um, I'm Congressman Adam Smith. Welcome to Arash's World again. Thanks. Good to see you. Yeah, great. And happy 4th of July to you and to everyone who's listening. You as well. Thank you. Yeah, so I'd like to start off about that, about the beginning of uh, this wonderful country and uh, about Thomas Jefferson and um, his uh, contributions to it and the, the fact that it's an American experiment. So some people forget that and also his, his drive towards a more perfect union. Union is important here, and we don't we see a lot of division there. So union is you know, hugely important, but also a more perfect one and not a perfect one. So um, yeah, what would you say about that? Yeah, no, I think it's really important, you know, to think of America in the context of the improvements and going forward. I mean, well, really more the idea. I mean, the, the principal idea behind the foundation of this country was that people should have a say in how they are governed. Yes. I mean, that's the basic idea. Um, and that, you know, we should work towards greater equality um, in, in our country. Now, I mean, if you understand the history, you understand that at the time that they did that, it was basically property owning white men who actually have a say in their government. Um, but what we've done over the course of 240 years is we've slowly expanded that. Um, and I think that's to your point on a more perfect union. You're never going to have a situation where everybody has a say in everything. It doesn't work. It's not practical. Um, and also human beings don't always achieve, you know, perfect fairness. But the idea behind it and those that that's sort of the well, I think of their three core ideas. One is everybody ought to have a say in how they are governed. Two, we as a society should all be always be working towards greater equality. And three, that the ideas behind the Enlightenment, um, that basically rational thought, logic, pragmatism, and listening to the opinions and ideas of everyone is the way you solve problems and improve your society. And that is all three of those things are always going to be a work in progress. Yeah, I love that. And uh, it's it's an experiment, though. It's trial and error. And I think people forget that. It's like you don't get it right right out of the gates. It takes time, like tweaking, refining. and But in his time, it was very progressive. The idea of moving away from, from, from the British control and becoming an independent nation that is not governed by um, um, your rights, uh, your birthrights and so on, but it's the idea of democracy. And we often forget that not only did he create independence in this nation, but also he was the main influence and inspiration behind the French Revolution in 1789, where he actually was an ambassador in, in Paris at the time and helped pen their declaration because he had previous experience. Whereas Lafayette was from the French, he was working with the Americans to create uh, the independence. And partly why France was not in a great shape was because they spent a lot of money on the American Union to make sure that they're fine. And then uh, they got their own revolution. So it's it's how wonderful, how cyclical and how connected, interconnected all of these movements uh, are. Absolutely. And so, but the idea again was so progressive at the time. And I, I, he does uh, get some, some pushback, uh, Thomas Jefferson, of having owned slaves. I just wanna also make sure again, that is not ideal. 
but in his own benefit too, because uh, he was benefiting from that. And he was somebody who was frugal, but he spent a lot of money on his wine and decorations and so on. So well, I think important. A, yeah, right. Two important things about that. I mean, first of all, at the time in history, when the Declaration of Independence was written, there was no government in the world uh, that was governed by the people. Okay, um, so it was it was progress for the time. I mean, certainly, as you know, correctly pointed out, you know, there were a lot of people who didn't enjoy that freedom, and we had a lot more work to do. The Declaration of Independence was one step, and again, the ideas captured in it um, that you ought to have equality, that you ought to have everyone having a say in government. That's what we've built on. You know, the founders definitely hadn't gotten there yet. I mean. Slavery was an awful and horrific institution. Um, they were unable to get rid of it in, in the Constitution, and it took us years to move forward, and we're still working on it. But again, I hope today we'll think about <clears throat> the ideas behind that and the idea that we always have to be working towards truly achieving those ideas. Absolutely, absolutely. But he was also a compromise. It was a strategic move because he had to make sure that everybody was on board. So that was also the decision that that swayed him. And he was also like kind of conflicted himself again because of the personal benefits he would get from having free labor. So it's that that kind of conflict. Well, we had it with the Greeks too. I mean, they could not do philosophy if they didn't own slaves who would do the the manual work and they could spend time thinking. But the idea again is 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 completely against what what we would think again of equality and definitely that's that's an important point to make but we also have to understand as as you're saying too that the zeitgeist and the the time the context of the times and what i was quite uh, surprised to find out too that at the time often there was this uh, partisanship there was this like these different factions that existed like george washington there was talk about him being impeached and he's the first president so it's it's kind of interesting that this is something that goes on for a while even uh, opinions were published as facts back then and he was assumed dead but he was not dead so false reported dead uh, on independence day in 1800 i think but then he did die on Independence Day, on the 50th anniversary of Independence Day, the same day that John Adams died, which is very spooky, uh, at the same time, the same day. So I find yeah. it also quite interesting and spooky again. Yeah, no, it's a lot of interesting history there, and it's always good to, to remember that as, as we move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I want to get back to your book. So your book is Lost and Broken, My Journey Back from Chronic Pain and Crippling Anxiety. We talked about the different, uh, the struggles you've had, the recovery, and again, resilience that you built through through those experiences. But one thing I'd like to touch upon a bit more was also the healthcare model. So um, how is it that it's not functioning as well as it, it could? What can we do it to improve? How can we fix some of the parts that are not working and so on? So what is your analysis of it? And I loved, again, what you talk about in your book and find it fascinating, your insights about uh, the healthcare model itself in the U.S. Yeah, I mean, there's two big points on, on our healthcare model. One of the biggest flaws in the United States healthcare model is it is not universal access. Not everybody has insurance. Not everybody has a, a covered, dependable way to go get healthcare. So it tends to be a patchwork quilt. Um, now, the Affordable Care Act that was passed uh, when President Obama was in office, I voted for that back in 2010 when we passed it. That helped. 
<laughs> that expanded the number of people who were covered by, I think, somewhere between 25 and 30 million, um, but is still a bit of a patchwork. So if you're trying to get health care, uh, sorry, if you're trying to get treatment for a, for a problem, one of your first questions you have to ask is not just can you find a provider, but can you find a provider that is going to accept insurance, um, you know, accept your insurance? Do you have insurance, first of all? And second of all, even if you have insurance, can you find that provider? So as you're struggling with different types of care, you have to go through that. There was a, a book written by T.R. Reed um, about I don't know, 20 years ago now, maybe 15, called The Healing of America, in which he analyzed all healthcare systems in the world to try to say, how can we do it better in the U.S.? And one of the stories that he told in that book was of a young woman, 30 years old, who had lupus. Now, lupus is not a fatal illness, okay? It is something that you can manage, but it's difficult. But this woman bounced around from job to job. Sometimes she had care and sometimes she didn't, depending on whether or not she had insurance. And eventually she died at the age of 32 of a disease that she should not have died of um, because of the patchwork quilt of coverage that she had to navigate her way through. So that's problem number one. You know, you ought to be, if you have an illness, you ought to be able to stay okay. Here's a doctor. Here's a mental health care provider. I will go to them. Um, you can't do that. You have and, to. And partly, just to interrupt, sorry. Partly it's also yeah. the, in terms of cost benefits, because if you don't go and seek help in time, it gets worse. It aggravates. Yeah. And then you have to pay much more as a, as a state and nation. So when you think of cost benefit analysis, too, it would help us to have universal access to it so that we can avoid uh, later complications uh, with those yeah. uh, Absolutely. And the second big, biggest problem with it is how do we get to best practices in terms of how to diagnose and treat illnesses? And in America, it's pretty much, well, it's a combination of two things. One, it depends on what insurance will cover. If you can get insurance to cover specifically, you know, Medicare and Medicaid, which are the largest insure, um, insurance plans in the country, if you get that covered, then that thing will be covered. You know, there was major movement for preventative care. So breast cancer screenings are covered. Prostate <laughs> cancer screenings are covered. Some of that care is covered, but other things are not. Um, and it's not really done in necessarily a scientific way. It's more politics. It's more who can advocate most aggressively to cover. Now, some of it does make sense, but some of the things that aren't covered, like, you know, I think better than half the psychiatrists that I went to and psychologists were not covered by insurance. Um, they didn't participate in those systems. The ultimate treatment that I found for my physical pain, muscle activation therapy, not covered by insurance. Um, so, you know, who's making those decisions on what to cover? Exactly. Um, that's what, 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 what sort of, you know, drives a lot of that. And then it becomes, you know, what's covered is what gets treated and paid for. And that may not be the treatment you need. We would be better off if we had more of a best practices system that said, here's you know how you should diagnosis, here's what should be treated, here's what we're going to pay for. We, we don't have a clear system on that. Um, and the other piece of it is the economic incentives that drive so much of this. If something gets paid for, 
that's what you're going to order. We have a, you know, drugs get passed out because, you know, there's a lot of, you know, drug coverage. Um, you can get MRIs and x-rays and, you know, CT scans, those tests that are covered and then surgeries, um, hip replacements, knee replacements, um, these things are covered. So it's driven more by the money than it is by what the right diagnosis and treatment is. There's a lot of other problems, but those are the two biggest ones that we need to wrestle with. Exactly, exactly. And I think one of the things I found that is very helpful is something that I've been practicing myself for my health is intermittent fasting. Now, the thing is, though, that doesn't bring any income for pharmaceuticals or, or anybody. So this is why it's not really promoted enough, but it does. There's the research like done, like real, like serious research that shows you how it's helping you. But instead, we have this idea of breakfast being the most important meal, which I heard was actually uh, cereal companies that were promoting that idea. And it's not necessarily true. I mean, still some, some medical professors say it is. I don't think it is. And with intermittent fasting, we can heal a lot of our issues that we have. We can also lose weight and so on. And it costs nothing instead of paying for diet bills, which cost you money and are not as effective. Yeah, no, that's completely the case. You're right. Um, you know, money drives so many of the decisions that are made in exactly the way that you described, and it disincentivizes finding, you know, less costly solutions. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, that is something that is necessary for the country again to save money instead of having to deal with these diseases. And another thing is also prevention. I mean, it would, that is really the best way of approaching it. And we're not, yeah. I mean, we have an uh, epidemic of obes obesity and there, there are ways of, in many ways of preventing it and, and making sure that it doesn't get to the point it does. But I don't see enough talk about it, enough action, enough like incentives, as you're saying, of, of, of trying to, to foster that idea that prevention is hugely important, even from medical doctors, that they should really promote that. Yeah, no, completely agree. And again, that's driven by financial incentives in many cases. Um, you know, and I think the other piece of it is patients tend to want to find the quick fix. Um, you know, the prevention mostly involves diet, exercise, making healthcare decisions, as opposed to here, take this pill and you will be better. Um, that easy solution is more tantalizing to a patient and more financially rewarding to the healthcare system, but it may not be what is in the best health of an individual patient. In many cases, it's not. Yeah. And, and also with the funding too, I, I was shocked to find out how little goes into research and how much is just creating new products and medication and drugs, but not so much of like researching and finding the best treatment instead of uh, lucrative ones, right? So I think that is really like something that, that in my view needs to change a bit. And I saw it with uh, a conference I attended for cancer where the, the, the medical professionals were talking about it. The experts said there's so little spent on research and finding the best treatments, but we are seeing a bit more um, success there, a bit more uh, the step in the right direction. I think there is some, but still not enough in many ways. Yeah, no, that's, I think, a, a good summary of the challenge and the problem. One of the things I want to talk about, too, is psychosomatic conditions. And uh, there's a, a lot of information about it and misinformation as well and misconceptions in many ways. And I think it's important to, to clarify that. For me, it was something I discovered by reading a book by Susan O'Sullivan. It's called It's All in Your Head. And she's yeah. a neurologist. And I right. loved her book. It really opened my eyes where I realized that 
a lot of my conditions, I was suffering from obesity. I was suffering from, and still to a way, uh, uh, diabetes, but it's gotten much better. And uh, sleep apnea, which I've, I've cured in my own way with that, because a lot of it is through our mind, through our state, through our feelings. And the body-mind connection is underexplored in many ways from scientists. And I think there is much, there's a stronger link between the two. So, but the misconception or the idea that people have, it's if even the title, I would not say it's all in your head, right? So I yeah, think that's, that's the wrong way to put it. In fact, that was, yeah. <laughs> that was one of the biggest things that I, I wrestled with yes. because I had anxiety um, and that anxiety had been around, well, that the crippling anxiety showed up in 2013. It was like 16 months later that I developed the physical pain. So there was a logical thought, well, maybe the anxiety had now translated into physical pain. But the biggest thing is what you said. It's all in your head is the wrong way of looking at it because it misunderstands how pain works. Okay. Pain, all pain. I mean, if you break your leg, that pain is in your head, okay? It's your nervous system sending a message up to your brain telling you that hurts, okay? And very similar, if you are feeling physical pain that is caused by stress or anxiety or depression, the physical pain is real, Yes. okay? And that's what a lot of people misunderstand. It's yeah. like, well, if you just think about it differently, it'll go away. Yeah. Now, your body is sending a pain signal Okay. Now what you have to find is the source of that pain signal. And sometimes it's something more conventional. You know, you burn your hand on the stove, you bang your head up against the cabinet, you know, and that sends a pain through the physical nervous system that way. But the nervous system can also send the pain because of anxiety, because of stress. And actually the book that I read when I was going through this was Dr. John Sarno. He wrote a book called Healing Back Pain. And he had this theory that a lot of people develop pain, specifically back pain, because of anxiety and stress-related issues. And his theory was that basically what the body does is the body is trying to distract you from these thoughts that it doesn't want to have. And it's distracting you with pain. But the way it does it is it literally cuts off the blood flow to certain parts of your body. And that causes a physical pain. So, but the way to cure it is to get after the source of the anxiety. And that's, so number one, if you're dealing with, you know, pain caused by mental issues, don't buy into this. It's all in your head. It's absolutely real because of the way pain works. But second, understand that it does need to be treated. All right. You need to treat the anxiety. Now, I've, Dr. Sonar talks about people who sometimes they don't really need to treat it. They're told this and then they go, okay, I know it's not real. So I'm just going to go out and exercise. And I, I had a, a, an ambassador tell me one time that he had read Dr. Sarno's book and he had this really bad back pain. And then he realized it was in his head. He went out, he exercised, boop, all gone. That does happen. It doesn't happen very often. I would normally, not it. yeah. Right. If you have a mental issue that is causing physical pain, to cure your physical pain, you got to get after the mental issue. Right. And that's where you get into psychotherapy. That's where you get into cognitive behavioral therapy. That's where you get into being honest with yourself about what is causing you stress. What in your life 
either now or in the past is something that you haven't properly dealt with or been honest about. So if you have this type of pain, the treatment is mental health care. It's psychotherapy. It's like I said, behavioral health therapy. It's not just going, oh, it's all in my head. So it's not a problem. No, it is a problem that has a different course of treatment. If you break your leg, the pain goes away. When you get your leg set, you get put in a cast and it heals. Okay. If you have pain because of anxiety, that pain goes away when you treat and heal the anxiety. And there, there are two things when you say it's on your head, when people say to, to you, and it's like, the idea is like, well, firstly, it's like, oh, I'm to be blamed for my, for my suffering, which is not true. And then the, the other thing is also that you say, well, there's something wrong with me, I am crazy, and so on. And right. that's something, again, not true either. So we have to get, get rid and get past that. But I think there is something to tap into there. So if we look at stress, and I had the orthopedic surgeon here, Dr. Hanscom, who talked about this and really opened my eyes in many ways, is that stress uh, it causes our, it affects our immune system and it causes inflammation. And then the inflammation will continue and cause various uh, ailments and diseases, which is now recently, I think it's been discovered that diabetes is type two, it might be related to that. So I think there, there's really like the source issue is the stress and how we deal with stress and I loved your, uh, in the, my previous podcast with you, when you say, it's not the idea of anxious, we're all anxious in, in a way or another, but right. why are we so anxious? And I love that because it's our, our own unique response to it. Therefore, the treatment has to be individualized specifically to that person. So if you give a pill that works for many others, it doesn't mean that it will necessarily work for you. At the same time, you're treating the symptom, but the, the issue, the root issue, the core issue has not been addressed and will continue to fester inside. Yeah. No, and I think your, your, your point about the stigma, I think the other thing, is when, if people are told that their physical pain is coming from a mental health issue, there is a perception that that's weakness, okay? That you're just too weak and you need to, I mean, nobody accuses you of being weak if you get in a skiing accident and you tear your ACL and your knee hurts, okay? It's like everyone talks about it. You get the surgery, put the cast, like, oh, I hope you feel better. You know, it's, too, it's really terrible that that happened to you. No one says to you, ah, get up, go run. You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't hurt. It's all in your head, Okay. <laughs> And mental health issues are every little bit as real, okay? You know, they are caused by something that you need to help fix in the same way that a, a broken bone or a torn muscle, you know, it's going to cause you pain. You got to deal with it. It's not a matter of weakness. It's a matter of what's happened to you. And then you need to figure out how to fix it and heal it. Um, so that, that stigma also gets in the way because it's like I said, it's the perception that, well, if it's a mental health thing, well, gosh, you don't need anything. Just change your mind, fix it. Stop thinking about it, you know, stop worrying about it. Um, but it is something that needs to be treated. Yeah. And, uh, R.D. Lang, uh, the British psychiatrist has like, uh, he says there are three things we fear as human beings. One of them is death and, uh, Otto Rank would, would agree with that. That's like an undercurrent. Each of us has to go with that fear and uh, deal with it. But there's also the fear of other people. Again, that makes sense, especially in a, in a, when you don't feel safe in your surroundings. But then the third one is our minds. So there's this fear that something is not going well with our minds. And this fear, instead of addressing it, dealing with it and accepting it, we try to put under the carpet. We try, try to, to bury it. it yes. Bury it, exactly, deep, deep inside. And it doesn't go away that way. 
I see it like a pressure cooker also with our experiences, like the, the, the stress builds and the anxiety builds. And as long as we don't address it, it will erupt and it explode basically. And we want to make sure that we do. So I find that with myself when I'm in, in, in a time where I'm working hard and so on, my immune system is actually fine. It's when I'm on vacation, I get sick. And so as you let your guard down, and that's the same with, I think, our experiences that we need to address. And if we don't, in my case, midlife crisis, I think mine was a midlife crisis where you say, okay, my immune system was better when I was younger. I could deal with these issues, not with like emotional issues, but now it's bubbling out and there's like no way I can deal with it except again, have a panic attack, which is the body saying, hey, you need to deal with this. Well, it's, it's, it, that's a great way of describing it. The panic attack is the signal to your brain uh, you need to deal with in, in the same way that, you know, if you burn yourself or cut yourself or do something, the signal to your brain that you have a problem is that physical pain going up from the nerve from whatever was caused there. And it's the same thing. And look, I, you know, and I know people suffer from far worse things than, than what I went through. But I have an incredible amount of confidence in the mind and the body to heal itself if you know how to do it. And that's my conclusion in my book is what when I went through all of this, what I basically came to at the end was a better understanding of how my body and my mind worked. And that understanding gave me the ability to, to lead a, a much healthier life. Yeah, and that's wonderful. And just to go back full circle, Thomas Jefferson used to suffer from migraines. And it doesn't surprise me because of all the stress he had to deal with. And so we see, again, that's another case. And I had, used to have migraines too, which was a weekly thing I would have. But once I got rid of the, the source of it and my uh, anxiety about work and, and, and security and all that, it has gone away. And now it's like only once in a while. So I, I, this is really, for me, proof and evidence that there is something that people should look at. And often uh, I find medical doctors are not trained enough uh, physicians to see that and to notice it. And Susan O'Sullivan, despite that uh, not so great title in her book, she does say that about majority of cases, about maybe 60% of cases uh, where people go and see their, their family physicians, it's actually psychosomatic. Means again, it's caused by an underlying mental health issue, not so much a physical issue. Yeah. And we've seen it, and she's seen it with uh, um, seizures, where people did not have epilepsy, but they did have seizures. And when they looked at the brain patterns, everything looked normal, so it's called your functional, because there was no physical cause underlying it. And that doesn't mean they made it up. That doesn't mean they're weak. That doesn't mean they're they're different. It right. just means that. They need to deal had with the health cause. issues. Exactly, a different cause. And so the solution is there. And I think I get frustrated when people don't want to acknowledge that because that is the way towards healing. Yeah. Well, and the medical profession had, does not handle it. What, what I encountered repeatedly was I would have psychiatrists and also medical doctors explain to me that, you know, well, maybe your mental issues is what's causing your pain. I document this in this book, in my book, I had a, a hip surgeon that I went to, you know, to, you know, see about getting a hip replacement who basically looked at, you know, my history and the fact that I was taking benzodiazepines and had anxiety and my blood pressure was high and everything. And he said, you know, I don't, I don't think the pain's coming from your hip. You know, I think it's probably, you know, we, there's all this fascinating research about anxiety and how it can cause pain. And that was it. 
<laughs> okay. He didn't tell me, okay, and here's what you do about it. Yeah. I'm like, so you're telling me what? That I'm not really feeling this pain? I mean, I ought to be able to say, A, let's take a look at whether or not there could be a mental issue involved and let's try to treat the anxiety. But B, in my case, <clears throat> it wasn't the mental issues that were causing my pain. Um, I had legitimate issues with the way my muscles were working and the way my hips were working. I don't know that hip surgery was necessary, but certainly physical therapy and ultimately muscle activation therapy was necessary. You have to give a prognosis. And I think there's even doctors out there who don't seem to understand that it's all in your head is not a accurate or B helpful. Okay. Well, I'm ahead. So what do I do about it? <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, so I hope the medical profession can do a better job of, of balancing that. How do you treat it if it's a mental issue? And also let's not ignore the physical in the hope that there's some magical mental health thing that will make all the pain go away. I mean, if you've got, you know, bone spurs and torn, you know, muscles, you will have to deal with that as well. And, and the advice you get too, it's like, uh, you need to lose weight. So it's like, okay, well, but how, you know, what do I do about it? And, yeah. and there, that's missing, or you need to do more exercise. And in many cases, exercise can make it worse. You might have like, you might help with mild depression, but if you don't have the energy to go out, then you can't exercise. So I find it's like really like understanding the issues a bit more deeply and giving like advice or suggestions uh, that will help. And also admitting that you don't know and that you right. might be wrong about something. And that's and, missing yeah. in the scientific community. It's like, yes, you have to be right all the time. No. And that's, again, going right. back also to the experiment, yeah. trial and error. You know, yes. we have to keep trying to get better, but learn from the mistakes. And I don't see enough of that. We keep repeating the same mistakes, the same patterns, the same cycles. Anyway. Well, that's that's the, 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 the famous God complex within the doctor's world. It's like, you know, they have to tell you, boom, boom, boom. This is exactly what it is. Now, you know, here's prescription five minutes later out of the office. It's all good. When in fact, modern medicine, medicine always is like, it's a trial and error thing. Like you said, mm -hmm. it's going to take a while to figure out okay, what's going on with your mind. What's going on with your body? What could be causing this? Let's, let's, let's really look at it holistically and come yes, up with the holistic. solution. That's yes. the medical profession. And I don't know what it's like in Canada. I suspect yes. it's the same. You know, part of the problem is these these healthcare providers, they don't have time. They, they don't have time to have an in-depth conversation. They, they don't get paid any more in the U.S. if they see you for two hours than if they see you for two minutes. Um, and that also is a challenge in dealing with something as complex as the human body and mind. Yeah, and there's a 10-minute limit and so on. And it's like you can't figure out what the person is suffering from by just talking to them for, for a few minutes. And so I think, again, like really like trying to help the patients and putting them first. And uh, I can see the incentive of you want to make more money, but you have the Hippocratic Oath too. And you, you are here to help and heal and, uh, and to serve your patients. And I think that needs to be changing as well, this sort of attitude with it, but also as you talk about incentives of making sure that people are given the time. And what I love about the whole thing is the placebo effect. And yeah. I just love it because there's no way to explain it for the medical and scientific community. Why and how does this exist? Well, and that's the other big piece of this is there's so much that we still don't know. That's right. Because the placebo effect is, is real um, because 
you mentally, there are some people who I, I think you could probably train your brain to dramatically reduce even pain that has a direct physical cause. And there's been some analysis of this. There's um, There was a famous story about a guy who was working on a construction site who stepped on a nail and it went through his shoe and he's like screaming in agony. Um, and they get him to the hospital, take off the shoe and realize that the nail went between his toes, didn't hit anything. Oh, okay. <laughs> but his pain, he yeah. felt that pain because his brain saw the nail go through his shoe and the thinking was, this is going to hurt. Okay. So it hurt, even yeah. though it wasn't really actually pain. Similarly, you have a lot of stories of people who can train their mind to reduce the actual pain, but that's a level of cognitive ability that okay. is beyond most of us, you know, people. Now, maybe we can eventually learn how the brain works and how we can change our perceptions of pain. Um, but we're still, we still just sort of scratch the surface of all of that. Um, and again, to your point, you know, doctors need to understand what they don't know um, as much as what they do know. And the phantom limb, I was just thinking of that too, where people have lost their, their leg, but they still feel pain in that leg. And, and that pain is very real for that person. They, they do feel it. It's yeah. not, they're not making it up. So really like looking at that and uh, taking it seriously and listening to the others. And I think that's also here, also a final point I'd like to make, listening to others when it comes to division, when it comes to all these like factions that we have, of really like trying to understand the other person. I want to give you a personal experience that I had when I went to, to court as a character witness. I don't usually go there. So this was my first experience at court and I was defending someone, but I found it very interesting how the, the lawyers were like, uh, uh, like basically fighting against each other on the, in the court. They were like coming with arguments and it seemed like vicious. And then, then later on, I saw them afterwards. They're like, oh, that was a great uh, court scene there. Yeah, I loved it too. Do you want to go and have a beer? And I think that kind of confused me. It's like moments ago, they were like battling with each other and then they go and have beers. And so I think it's we're taking everything way too seriously, both as well, individuals that, as well. You know, if, if you will, that brings us back full circle to what you started off talking about in terms of the ideas behind, you know, the creation of America and the Declaration of Independence. And one of those central ideas was that the way you get to better answers is through robust debate, listening to all voices. Because prior to that, the general idea was, except for the king and the pope and a few high up leaders, the rest of us, it's like, you don't know anything. We'll tell you what's right. Exactly. Uh, we'll but the American idea was good ideas can come from, it, from anywhere. So encourage people to be heard and to have a debate um, and to you know have a, a proper airing of different ideas, that will get you to a better answer than this notion that, well, the king knows best because hereditarily he was born. So yeah. if he speaks, it is the truth. Yeah. Now, human beings, we evolve, we adapt, we learn. We learn from new information and new arguments. And you're as likely to get that new information and new arguments from an average person walking down the street as you are from a professor, you know, we're all thinking, let's you know, use those ideas to advance our knowledge and solve more problems. So, yeah, I think approaching the medical profession in the same way that you approach the enlightenment idea of how we accumulate knowledge would be helpful. 
Yeah, and that is equality. That is really equality of like your yeah. opinion matters as well. I will listen to it. I might not agree with it, and that's again democracy, but I will listen to it. I will give you a chance and I will not mock you and so on. And I think that's really important so that there is true communication happening instead of just like bickering and fighting. And I think that is on a small scale, that's on a big scale in politics, in everyday life, we need to do more of. And I think that is the huge importance. Thank you so much, uh, Congressman you. Adam Smith, for being here. Wonderful discussion, as usual. You're always welcome in Araj's world. So uh, thank you so much for being, again, such an honor. And uh, enjoy a uh, happy 4th of July. Enjoy your, your day of independence. Absolutely. It's always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for giving me the chance. Thank you.